I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you get a phone call. And it's a phone call where they want you to be the guest of honor at an award ceremony and you're going to receive this high award some type of award that you have always longed to receive and they're going to bring in all your family and all your friends and you're going to be the guest of honor. And so you get ready for this event, you show up and it's like the night of your life. Like they they present this award to you, your family is there, you've seen friends you hadn't seen for years, there's important people, it's just this amazing night. You go home you're just on cloud nine. Like the Lord has just been so gracious through this award and through this time together with these people. And you're just beaming ear to ear. And you walk in your bathroom to get ready to go to bed. You're still smiling. You look in the mirror and then a look of terror comes over your face. You've got something stuck between your two front teeth. (laughs) Or worse for a guy, you realize as you're getting ready for bed that your fly's been down all night long. And in that moment, you start clicking through every moment of the night. Who knew? Who saw? And there's fear for that little bit. And then gears change. And you start going. Then you start clicking through all of your friends. Your friends, right? Your supposed friends. You start going, oh no, they didn't tell me. They're off the friend list. Like I know they saw. My wife, she was there. She's off the friend list for a little while. She should have told me. And on, you go down the list and you, and you go, they should have, somebody should have said something to me because I would have rather a few moments of awkwardness than an entire night of getting an award that I'm sure there are pictures of me smiling with something between my teeth. And the reality is in life, we would love to have and rather have a few moments of awkwardness than a long period of brokenness where everybody left us just to walk in the middle of it and nobody was willing to tell us what they saw. And this morning we're going to talk about and walk through a passage that speaks to how we're to walk with one another in the midst of approaching and speaking to one another when we see things in each other's lives. One of the hardest things for us to do. So if you've got your word, we're going to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 and work our way through. We need to set the foundation there a little bit for where we're headed this morning. Um, And this is a letter that Paul has written to the Colossians primarily because there was some false theology, some false beliefs that were rooting up into the people in Colossians or the Colossian people. Okay, and so what they were seeing was there was being a push toward doing certain things and not doing other things and the favor of God being built around what you do and what you don't do. And so Paul is writing this letter to elevate Christ over the things that we do. Because the picture is more important about who Christ is and not about whether I'm keeping rules or, or rituals or not. And so that's the context of this letter. And so we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to roll through parts to get a foundation. And then we'll settle in in a little bit of where we're headed. So verse 1, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's given us the goal right here, right? This picture of our hearts or our emotions, the way we feel, they ought to be focused on things above. They ought to be focused on who Christ is and what Christ says is right. And our minds ought to be focused on the things that God says are right and true and good. 
Why? Because our lives are hidden in Christ. Anyone who has believed and trusted in Jesus, your life is hidden in Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees you covered by his son. Your life is hidden in him. When the enemy comes to attack you, he finds you hidden in Christ. Right? This, is, this is the goal. This is what we're looking for. As believers in Christ, we're hidden in Christ. And we want to see our hearts, our minds, the way we think, the way we feel, all in alignment with the things of what God says is right and true and good. And the passage is going to go on to talk about how we get there. But we want to keep that in mind. This is the goal. Emotions, thoughts, everything that moves that same direction toward Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord God forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now there's a lot there, but what I want you to see is that Paul is telling them, I want you to put off certain things, right? There's things that we're supposed to stop doing, and then there's certain things that we're supposed to start doing. Wait a minute, if Paul is writing to tell them to not be focused on rituals of what to do and what not to do, why is he all of a sudden saying, put this off and put this on? Wouldn't he be falling into that same trap? The reality is what he's telling them is it is impossible for you and I to put off all of these things and to put on the right things. We can't do it in our own strength. There is no way for us to do it. If you look at your own life, you'll find some of these things, anger, greed, malice, idolatry, lust. These things begin to well up in our lives. And you talk about not naturally having patience. Anybody want to say patience is one of my natural gifts? I've met anybody who says that's one of their natural gifts giftings and leanings. We can't do these things on our own strength. It is in laying our lives down before Christ, saying, I'm not, I can't work harder to make it work, but I can put my heart and my mind in your hands and surrender them to you and say, Lord, how do you want to work in my life? They are yours. You move. And what happens is these things, the things to put off and the things to put on become indicators of whether, we've sur- whether we are surrendering our life to Christ or not. When I see the, the anger and the malice rising up in my life, I begin to realize that's an indicator. That's a sign that I am not trusting my life to Christ for him to change my heart. When I begin to see patience coming out of my life, I go, that's not natural to me. That's the Lord beginning to mold and shape and change. Okay, so you've got this, the goal is hearts and minds set on things above. We've got things that should be put off and things that should be put on. And this image that we can't do it in our own strength when it requires surrender to the Lord. We're going to camp on the next three verses. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ 
Rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. You ever think about that reality of the peace of Christ? That when life is at its worst, when the turmoil has come, when the, when the cancer word is used, when there's awful moments that surround your life, do you think about the peace of Christ? Because the reality is all across our church, there are people who are walking through those broken circumstances right now. And I can tell you there's some that I would put in front of you to have a conversation with. It, it, the grief is not gone. The pain is not gone. The reality of what they have to deal with is still in front of them. But they will tell you and they will articulate and you'll see it in their life. There is an underlying peace in the midst of all the things they're facing. And you begin to wonder why. And the question, the answer to that is very simple, that they have peace with Christ and the peace of Christ, that they have surrendered their lives to Christ so that the penalty that they owe for their sin, the brokenness that their sin requires, the payment of death that our sin requires, it's been washed away. So no circumstance you can face on this earth could ever compare to the freedom that's found in knowing Jesus Christ, that we have been freed from the brokenness of sin that would Keep us in our chains all the days of our life. That when Christ says, if you will hide your life in me, if you will surrender your life to me, I will give you the peace that passes all understanding and you can endure every circumstance that comes. That is the peace of Christ. And the reality is when we are walking in these other things that we are supposed to put off, there is very little peace. Right? You find the stress of when you've walked away from what God says is right and true and good, and, and you're trying to figure out, I'm tired of the brokenness of that circumstance, and I'm tired of walking in, the, in, in what I'm chasing. And you begin to say, I just want to find peace. Well, the peace does not come in those circumstances. It comes in the surrender to Jesus Christ so that we can endure every circumstance that comes. See, the peace of Christ did not come to free us from every broken circumstance, the peace of Christ came so that we could be free from the circumstance of eternal separation from him and so we can endure every moment we could ever face on this earth. There's a peace that passes all understanding that comes in a surrender to Christ. For us as believers, most of us in here are followers of Christ and that picture of peace we have the underlying overwhelming peace that our eternity is secure. Yet we have the things in our life that we have to do that create the extra stress. We have the worry of what are we going to do about this? Retirement's coming and what am I going to do here? Or uh, uh, the kids are coming and the relationships have not been great with the kids lately so how are we going to interact? Or this is going to happen or that's going to happen or I've got the test this week or I've got this and I've got that and the worries begin to well up and the reality of what this passage is telling right in this moment is the peace of Christ. If your eternity is secure you can rest assured that he cares about every one of those other moments you're facing so you can surrender them to him. And how does that verse end? And be thankful. As we look at the chaos of the world around us, as followers of Christ, we can live in peace. As everything fluctuates around us, we get to say, I have the peace of Christ, so whatever comes will come, and it will bring consequences and difficulties, but I will rest in Christ so that I can endure whatever it is. We get to live in peace and be thankful. Let's look at what it says next. 
Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Look at that phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? The word of Christ. Right? The, the word. This is, if you want to know how to set your heart on things above, that your emotions begin to align up with what God says is right and true. If you want to know what it means to set your mind on things above so that your mind is aligning with what is true, the word of God has to dwell in your life richly. This is how we anchor down to what is right and true. Because the reality is, what is right and true in our culture right now will change 50 years from now. It was different 30, 40 years ago. What is right and true in another culture will change. Cultures change what they say is right and true. Think about it. You ever hear a doctor say that smoking was okay? There was a day in time when doctors believed it was fine. Cultures realize something different now. Different cultures value different things. There's, you can go read a book called The Peace Child, and, and it's about a, uh, a missionary and his wife who go to a people group that are unreached. They share the story of Jesus. They translate the language into the language of the people. They share the whole story of Christ with them. They think, we have shared Christ. They're going to receive Christ. And the people began to celebrate the hero of the story, Judas, because they valued deception in their culture. A little bit lost in translation, right? Different cultures value different things. And so the reality of what culture says is right and true is going to change. It's going to waffle. It's going to move. This word of God never changes. So we have an anchor for our soul to anchor our thoughts to. We have an anchor for our soul to anchor our emotions to. So that when everything else waffles, when all the challenges we face come in, we can say, I know the anchor that does not move. And I'm going to seek to align my life and my emotions with what it says is true. I think the reality is, for many of us, we've allowed the enemy to speak into our lives and deceive us. Because if I asked you to raise your hands, how many of you say that the word of God is good? All the hands would go up. If I said, how many of you believe that the word of God is important? All the hands would go up. If I said, how many of you believe the word of God is essential? All the hands would go up. But the reality is, many of us live like the word of God is good and important, but we do not live like it's essential. Think about that. Those are two very different things. Something that is good and something that is essential. Okay, I grew up in Texas. My grandfather had a cattle farm. So I think a good steak is really, really great. Right? I love to eat a good steak. It is good. But it's not anywhere near as essential as water. Right? I could go the rest of my life without eating a steak, and I might mourn and grieve over it at some point but I would be just fine. Try to go a week without drinking water, see what happens to your life. Something that is good and something that is essential. We traveled back from the Dallas-Fort Worth area yesterday. Um, something that is good, important, and, and very, very important to us um, is that our car has a speaker system that our kids can play their stories. They like to listen to stories. It keeps them occupied, it keeps them calm, it keeps them out of each other's business. Right? And Michelle and I can basically have a date in the front seat while we're driving, and they're back there listening to their stories. 
That's a very good thing. It is nowhere near as essential as the brakes on the car. The brakes are essential. If I'm going down the highway at 70 and the speakers go out, we're fine. If I'm going down the highway at 70 and the brakes go out, we're in trouble. There's a big difference between good and essential. And the reality is we do not exist. We do not thrive. We do not flourish without the word of God. It is essential. And not to put a guilt trip on any of us, but for us to begin to let the scales fall off of our eyes. Because if it's simply good, what we do is say, I'm going to read it whenever I can. I'm going to find time to get some word in whenever it's available, whenever I have opportunity. I will, I will absorb a little bit of scripture. I'll go listen to somebody preach. I'll do some things to get the word. Um, but if there's something else that comes up that I deem is essential, guess what's going to happen to this? Put on the shelf. When, when the circumstances come that we deem is very, very important and essential, if this is not viewed as essential, then it will be shelved. And we won't make decisions based on a biblical framework. We'll make decisions based on what I think and what I feel. And that becomes problematic. This is the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. And as it dwells in us richly, our hearts and minds are set on things above. And then all of a sudden we, we look up and the things that are supposed to be put off are put off and the things that are supposed to be put on are put on because our hearts and minds have been adjusting to becoming more and more like Christ. That phrase is it dwells in you richly. The house we moved into had a, has a big garden that the people there as we moved in realized as we talked to neighbors that this was a well-known garden in the neighborhood. We quickly apologized to everybody and said it will no longer be a well-known garden in the neighborhood, except for maybe the weeds and other things that get up in it. And we have, the last two summers, we've planted some stuff in it, we've tilled up soil, we've done some things, but we have not kept it anywhere near the way that you're supposed to keep a garden. And catty corner behind us, through the chain link fence, we can see those neighbors who have done everything you're supposed to do to a garden. If you look at our garden, there's no dwelling richly. It's like, I think I found a tomato in the middle of the weed somewhere. Right? And there's corn that's sideways and all kinds of other things. You look at their garden and there's squash and all kinds of great things growing. This idea of dwelling richly. There's got to be a rich soil. There's got to be some intentionality. Not just saying this is important, but finding ways to allow it to in incorporate and move in our lives. Whether that means that you put the phone down when you have five minutes and you, and you pick up the word, maybe the word's on your phone, that's fine. But beginning to allow the word to dwell in your life so that it moves richly. That's how our hearts and minds are set on things above. But look how that passage goes. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Right, The word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us richly, and a part of that is as others teach and as others admonish us. That word admonish literally means to gently caution. The word of Christ cannot, does not dwell in us richly simply by our own endeavors. God has given us the body of believers other people who are following Christ to speak into our lives at times so that they can gently caution us and draw us back to what is right and true so the word of God can dwell in us. 
Because here's what happens. My mind is marred by my sin. My emotions are marred by my sin. So what I think and what I feel are not always going to align with what God says is true. And if I don't have somebody else speaking into my life, I will continue to trek down that road as long as I can because I will think I'm right. And until somebody gently cautions me, I will continue in that direction. One day I'll look in the mirror and realize there's something stuck between my teeth and I didn't know it was there. So let me give you an example of that. We, we fill in gaps all the time. We get little bits of information and we fill them in. Let me give you an example of my life. Last time I preached, I talked about we ended up getting our six-year-old daughter some little dwarf goats, two little dwarf goats. Um, and I had done what I believed to be the right due diligence, made sure they were legal where we were, made sure that I knew the distance requirements from the next closest house. Um, and and I'd talked to some of our neighbors, anybody who would be even threatened by that distance requirement. And so felt like we were in good shape because I, you know, but I didn't get out the tape measure and measure it. About a month ago, we had Georgetown Animal Control knock on our door. You guys have goats? Yes, we do. You got a problem with our goats? Maybe. And he goes out there, he was incredibly nice. Goes out there, begins to measure, and I help him measure. We're 180 feet from the next closest house, not 200. Goat's got to go away. Somebody made a complaint. As a dad, in that moment, you start going, oh, let me figure out who that was. You got a name? And all these Christ-like thoughts start running through your head. And you begin to realize and you start thinking, okay, then, then I start dwelling on these things and start going, okay, who was it? It wasn't this person. It wasn't that person. What's, what happened? Why didn't they come to us? We could have maybe worked something out. Like there's all kinds of things that start running through your head because you can hear the cows mooing from over here and there's the little pony down the street. Surely we can figure out the dwarf goats, right? Like, and, and you start to run through all these things. And the next night, Michelle has gone to dinner with um, some ladies, and I've got the four kids at home, and, and we're making dinner and getting things set up, and I'm feeding the baby, and I see one of our neighbors, one of our catty corner neighbors, walk past our front window, and he's like three feet from our window. He's come from the side of our house. He didn't knock on our door. He goes straight across our yard towards his house, and I thought at first, I thought, I wonder what, what he's doing, and then in my mind, it clicked. He's looking to see if our goats are gone. I know what he did. He's the one that called. And I start thinking about dwelling that this is the guy that, that had our goats taken away. And for, the, for that night and the rest of the next day, I start dwelling on this. And it, and it just starts bugging me. And I'm like, I'm going to have to go talk to him. I'm going to talk to him just like Jesus would. And we're going to walk through this and work through it like neighbors. Like We're just going to go through this. And I'm not going to let it sit, but, but I'm not going to be a jerk. And then sure enough, when I get home that next night, he's in his yard working. So I walk over to him and I've got it worked out. I'm not going to be mean. I'm just, so I walk up to him and I tell him, I say, hey, uh, I saw you last night. Walk by our window. I was feeding our kids and couldn't get to you, which was true. Um, I didn't hear the door ring or, or knock on the door. Can I help you with something? And I'm ready, right? I'm set. He's got one of two things he's going to do. He's either going to stumble and deny it, but you realize that it was really him. 
Or he's going to have, he's just going to straight up say, yeah, I, I don't really like your goats. And that moment I was ready. And then he responds to me and says, yeah, your dog got out and I took your dog and put her back in your yard. <laughs> I had filled in a whole lot of gaps with a little bit of information. This guy that was serving our family, loving our family, has always done that. I had no reason to believe otherwise. He was always kind to us. In an instant, I had made him out to be the villain because I filled in gaps that were not true. And we do that all the time. Get a little bit of information, my brain is going to want Biz Wired to fill in the gaps. And I'm going to take what I fill in and that's going to become reality. Whether that's with other people, that happens with spouses. When, when marriages start heading toward the rocks, they start filling in gaps. When, when you start getting in conflict with other family or with other friends, it, frequently you get a little bit of information. It's not the whole picture and your mind fills in the gaps. But you know the most dangerous place we fill in the gaps? It's with God himself. Something happens. Something bad happens. And you begin, and you look at God, and instead of anchoring down to the truth of his character, that he's always been good, that he sent his son to die for you, that he created a space for you to be right with him, for your sin to be forgiven, instead of seeing those things, we see he's supposed to be good, but he allowed something bad to happen, so he can't be good. And we fill in the gaps of the character of God instead of allowing the word to be the clear picture of the character of God. And we need other people to come alongside our lives at times when we're filling in the gaps to say, I love you, I care about you, and it's because I love you that I'm going to tell you what I see. And they begin to unpack what they see in your life. That gentle cautioning. Here's the deal. Some of you, when you heard that phrase, gentle cautioning, you immediately heard the word conflict. There's like a buzzword going off in your mind and you want to shrink under the chair because the idea of any kind of, of conversation where you might be addressing something in someone's life just terrifies you. There's others of you in here that are like, I know about half the people in here that I would love to admonish. Can I have the mic for the rest of the morning? <laughs> right? We're in different places with that. But the reality is that we are called to gently caution one another. And the reality is it doesn't come from just walking up to someone and say, hey, I saw this in your life. If somebody random just walked up to me and said, hey, I saw you do this and I don't think that's right, I don't know that I would respond in a Christ-like manner. I'd be, who are you to talk to me? But notice in those verses that we read earlier in verses 13 and 14, it talks about bearing with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, it's no accident that the last two weeks we, you looked first at bearing with one another and last week we, you looked at loving one another because if someone has borne with me at times when I have hurt them and they've forgiven me and if they've loved me sacrificially, if they approach me with a gentle cautioning, I'm going to listen because I've seen them forgive me and I've seen them love me. These things all go together. They are not separate. They're all tied to one another. But if we are not in community with other believers and have not built those relationships, it's a lot harder to receive that gentle cautioning. So it's imperative that we begin to walk together 
And we're in community with other believers that know us more than just what we like to eat at the potluck. They know where we struggle. They know where we wrestle. They know where our brokenness is. And they know how to encourage us. They know how to walk with us. See, there's a couple things with community that are very important. Um, One of them is that it, it is built on those relationships that are already there. Right? It is imperative that before we begin to caution, we have built up relationship. But a second one is that everything, look at what this passage talked about. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Our teaching and admonishing ought to be drawing people back to the word. So when we gather in groups of people, our goal ought to be moving towards what the word says. Here's, here's phrases we hear in, in small groups all the time. And they're not necessarily bad, but they have, you have to know their place. I think and I feel. Guess what? I think is broken by my sin. I feel is broken by my sin. I think and I feel are not bad statements if they're kept in the right place. In community, I think and I feel statements are really good for revealing where our hearts are. And when we have trusted community, we are allowed to bring those out so that we have others who know right where we're wrestling. Because the beauty is God takes us right where we are. Right? Every one of us, right where you are, he wants to take you right there. So when you say, I think this or I feel this, that's you're revealing your heart so that the, in front of other people and in front of the Lord, you're able to say, this may not line up with what God says is true, but it's where I am. And the Lord says, I will take you right where you are. But the reality is we don't stay there. And God has no intentions of leaving us there. I think and I feel statements are good for revealing our heart. They're not good for moving toward the future. The word of Christ is what drives us toward the future. So the I thinks and I feels are really good to reveal. Let them reveal where we are. And let the word of Christ in community push you toward what is right and true and good so that your minds and hearts are then set on things above and these things fall off and these things come on and we begin to walk in alignment with what God says is true. See how all this fits together? These are all tied together. As a church, in our Discover FBG class, there's four avenues that we ask and tell people that we want them to grow in. We want them to be moving forward in. We want them to be um, pushing forward in. We don't give them four steps or four classes because the reality is you can't do four things and then you're a graduate of Jesus' school of discipleship. Right? Like we are all growing till the day we go home to be with the Lord. And so we talk about these four avenues we want everybody growing in. And I want you guys, I want everyone to hear them because we believe that these are very vital areas for all of us. One of them, it's very easy, the personal, your personal relationship with Christ. We want you to be able to take the word of God and believe that it is essential in your life and begin to open it and read it and search the scriptures for what God says is right and true. If it is essential, you need it more than what a pastor can give you once a week. You need to allow it to, to mold and shape your life daily if possible. And it should be possible. Here's the deal. Sometimes we get, feel guilty and shame over, I haven't been doing it for a while. I get frustrated. I tried for a while and then I dropped off. And then here's what you always tell yourself. Every time you drop off and you start to pick the word up again, today's a good day to begin again. 
The grace of Christ is enough to cover. Today is a good day to begin again. And if you don't know where to begin, a great place to start is the book of John. Begin to start reading. Take a few verses, read a few verses, or read a chapter, and ask yourself three questions. What does this say about who Jesus is? What does it say about what Jesus does? What does it say about how I should respond to who Jesus is and what he does? You just begin to open the word and ask those three questions. The word of Christ will begin to dwell in you richly if you do it on an ongoing basis. So we want everyone growing in a personal relationship with Christ. We want everybody growing in one-on-one relationships with other believers, right? There are always people who are further along in the journey than we are, and there's people who are behind us in the journey of our faith. And we ought to always be looking for opportunities to invest in other people because we grow as we invest in others. So here's, here's the picture. It doesn't mean we have this image in our mind that that means I have to find one person and I have to mold them and shape them and make them out to be this incredible follower of Christ and I have to spend all my time with them. It can be as simple as sitting down to coffee one time with somebody. When I was in seminary, there was a seminary professor in his 70s that could memorize scripture like nobody had ever seen. We sat down twice and began to talk about scripture memory because that was an area that he was really good in, an area I wanted to grow in. It wasn't a lifelong relationship, but in that moment, those two opportunities helped shape my life and the way that I view Scripture. You may just simply go have lunch with someone. You may if simply approach someone and say, hey, would you like to grab lunch and talk? Sure. As you have lunch and you begin to talk, things may come up. And it may be something as simple as, hey, you know what? I've walked through that before. you have any interest in me sharing what I walked through when I went through that journey? You'd be amazed how many people say, yes, I'd love to learn what you walked through. It doesn't have to be daunting, but each one of us, where we are, find ways to begin to grow in one-on-one relationships. You know the difference between the Red Sea and the Dead Sea? The Red Sea is full of life. The Dead Sea is exactly what it's called, the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. They have the same water source. But the Red Sea has an inlet where water flows in and has an outlet where water flows out. The Dead Sea only has water flowing in. So everything builds up. It has no outlet and it fills up and everything is dead. Because the Red Sea has an outlet and is pouring out somewhere else, it's actually thriving. We are the same way. We need to be pouring out what God is doing in our lives. The third area we want people to be growing in is just what we call formal opportunities. Like that's gathering in a worship service, hearing the word, gathering in life groups, hearing the word, gathering in, in, on Wednesday nights or other Bible studies and beginning to hear the word. We just want everybody to learn, have opportunities to grow in hearing the word and applying it to their life. And the fourth area is in small group community whether that's a home group or a life group, we want everybody growing in community so that when those seasons come, there are people that are speaking into your life that can gently caution you toward what is right and true and good before everything blows up. Do you notice something about those four? Three of those four are dependent on other people. Only one of those is just about me. We were created to be in community with other believers. And God designed us to teach and admonish and encourage and gently caution one another. Because here's the reality. At the end of the day, 
the end of my life, at the end of your life, if you have the opportunity to look in the mirror before that life is gone, you're not going to simply look in the mirror and see something stuck between your teeth. If we don't have people gently cautioning us along the way, it's when you look in the mirror and go, what happened to my marriage? I don't know where it fell apart. What happened to why did I, my relationship with my kids, why did I spend all my time seeking power and money and all these things and I was trying to provide for them but somewhere along the way I got caught and was looking at other things and nobody ever said anything to me. Why, why am I here at this place right now and I, and I feel like I've wasted all this time. Or within the body of believers, you look up at some point and go, why are we knocking heads? Instead of walking toward Christ together? Did we live in community where we could teach and admonish and gently caution one another toward the word of Christ so that we live with our hearts and minds set on the things above? so that we in turn could be the people God's called us to be, so that as a community, we are the aroma of Christ to everyone around us. You see how that works? We need people, and it's difficult, it's hard. Investing in other people's messy. That's why we don't do it. But I can tell you, you will one day look in that mirror and wish you had if you never do. And if you do, you'll one day look in that mirror and go, praise God that we did because I'm now more the man of Christ than I ever could have been before because of these other people who've come around and who have invited to speak into my life. Are we going to be the body of believers that teach and admonish one another as we bear with one another and as we love one another sacrificially so that we are the aroma of Christ?